So Paul has something he wants to say. And I know that because he says it twice. He says, I got something I'm going to tell you. Verse 50, he says, I tell you this, brothers. Verse 51, he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. Paul is wrapping up some big ideas. I mean, we have spent seven or eight weeks in this chapter because there's so much in here. We've talked about the first coming of Jesus. We have talked about uh, uh, what would it be like if no one raised from the dead? We've talked about the second coming of Jesus. We've talked about final judgment. We've talked about resurrection. We've talked about what our final bodies would be like. Uh, we, we've talked about all kinds of things. Well, here, he's going to wrap it up. And he is going to try to get us to apply these things to our lives personally. And in a very, and, and we'll do more of that next week. And in a very meaningful way, he wants us to know what these things mean for us. And he says there's a mystery. He's saying that something will unfold before you that you cannot fully wrap your mind around. The word mystery is found in a number of places in Paul's writing. And it refers to a few different things. It commonly refers to the promises of God in the Old Testament, that they didn't understand those things until Jesus came. So it was mysterious. It's like reading the Nancy Drew mystery book, and you're halfway through it, and two-thirds of the way through it, three-quarters of the way through it, and you're wondering what it is that's going to happen. How is all of this going to pan out? I got some of the pieces of the puzzle, but not all of them. Well, here, there's a mystery. We know some things that Paul has told us. We'll look at some other places in the Bible that speaks to these things in a few minutes. So we know these things that are written, but there are elements of it that are still mysterious to us. In my house, we have, out of the nine of us, we have six birthdays in March, April, and May. We've had three in the last month. We had one Friday. You put the gifts on the table, and you see the birthday girl or the birthday boy. They're, you know, whoo. There's this anticipation. What is it? Then the gift is open and you know what's in there. A mystery. There's something to unwrap. There's something that needs to be unfolded before us so that we can see at some point later in redemptive history the fullness of what God has in mind for us. So mystery always refers to something that we do not currently know. And in the majority of cases, it also refers to something that we will one day know. We, as Christians, we have to be willing to embrace the concept of mystery. This concept can be unsettling to us because we like to be able to wrap our mind around everything. And sometimes we struggle to control stuff and we, we feel like if there's something mysterious, if there's something I can't grab, my, grab, grab hold of, then, then that's hard to settle in with that as Christians. But I believe that there are so many things that we know and that there are so many things beyond what we know that God hasn't revealed yet. And, and, and it takes faith to trust that that is good and that that is God's good plan. So in verse 50, he says, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The way we are right now cannot enter into the full glories of God. 
And our current bodies cannot handle the full glory of God. There was a man in the Old Testament named Uzzah. He got too close to the ark of God, which was at that time, it was the dwelling place of God. He actually put his hand on the ark and God struck him dead. He got too close to the fullness of the glory of God. And Adam and Eve, before they sinned, they had just incredible fellowship with God. God cast them out of the garden as judgment. And they never could experience him the same way again in that life. The way they did before they were cast out of the garden. God's holiness, his majesty, his glory, and his beauty are infinite. And our current physical body can't handle it. Because of the corruption that is within us. We get to verse 51. He says, here's the mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So Paul has spent a lot of time talking about the dead being raised when Christ returns. Here, he turns his attention to what will happen to those who are alive when he returns. Now, there is a question, and I've answered it in weeks past, but I want to bring it up again because it took me a long time to get my head wrapped around this a few years ago. But I think it's one that's on our minds. It's important to us. If you are a Christian and you die and Jesus hasn't come back yet, what happens to you? Here's what happens to you. Your body stays here and your soul is present with the Lord. So you are... You have a body, bodiless existence in heaven in the presence of God. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be awesome. Okay? Paul so looked forward to that in a few other writings and a few other places. And then, so, so, so you know, my grandma earlier this year, she's gone. Okay? Miss her. You know, but I believe she's in the presence of Jesus without a body. And I believe that when Jesus returns, she'll be with him and she'll gain her body, her perfect body at that time. So for those Christians who die before all this happens that we're reading today, I believe that's what happens to them. And that's a very popular interpretation of this teaching. Very common, very widely accepted. But I think in verses 52 and 53, we really see Paul wanting the Corinthians who are alive at that time and us who are alive today to know what's going to happen if you're alive when Jesus comes back. So we're going to be changed. That's really exciting. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Now here we have this idea of trumpet. Let's read 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15 through 17. We'll learn some more. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. I think it's going to be loud. With the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. We've got another trumpet. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. I was just mentioning that a minute ago. 
Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So, so that's kind of a parallel passage to what we're reading in 1 Corinthians 15. Many of the same ideas. Now this idea of trumpet. In Numbers to, and Gene's comment referenced uh, this and a few other passages like it. In Numbers chapter 10 verses 1 through 7. We find God commanding the Israelite people to make two silver trumpets. And these trumpets were very important. These trumpets had a purpose. The Israelites had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. They were on their way to the promised land, which is kind of like a picture of our life currently. (laughs) But God said, make these two trumpets. And there were two reasons that they were to make these two silver trumpets. There was a certain uh, sound that they were to make. If all of the Jewish people were supposed to gather together. Isn't that interesting? God's going to gather all his people together. We're going to hear a trumpet then too. But if there was supposed to be a meeting, the leaders of the nation, Moses in particular, and the priests, they they would blow the trumpet. And everyone would know, we got to go get together. The second reason that we see that in uh, Numbers, or the second thing that they did with the trumpets in Numbers, was if it's time to move to a new spot. That period of their history, they were in one place for a while, and then they moved to another place. It was very much a, a nomadic lifestyle. Well, here, um, or, or what we see when I, when, you know, God's going to call us up to him. And we're going to meet him in the air, and then he's going to redeem the earth. He's going to make it all things in earth and heaven new. And it's going to be a new place in some mysterious, incredible way that we can't understand. And, you know, so that trumpet means not only that he's gathering us, but he's moving us to a new place. In addition to this, in the Old Testament, a trumpet would be blown when a king was crowned. And I tell you, at this moment, when Jesus comes back and defeats all his enemies, like we saw in verses 24 through 28, no one is going to dispute the claim that God is king. (laughs) We also see trumpets in the Bible being blown when judgment was coming. We see this in many different places. We get to verses 54 and 55. And and these two verses are all about Old Testament promises being fulfilled at this moment when the trumpet's blown and when we're all changed. Okay, God made promises approximately 2,800 years ago. (laughs) Isaiah, Joel. Okay, those two guys that verse 55 and 54 reference. God made promises and they heard those promises then. They understood them a little bit, but they didn't understand them much. Paul interpreted those promises under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we know it's true. We know we can trust it. And so here, you know, some of the mystery is removed. We understand more about God's plan. And then... That ultimate time when all these things actually take place, then the mystery will no longer be a mystery because we'll experience and know it. But verse 54 and 55, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So verse 54 begins with when. So when these things happen... Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. In the New Testament, we see it over and over again as it is written. Okay? That, that is 
Every time you see that, just know it's talking about something that was written previous to that that was recorded in the Old Testament. So, So we've got these two quotations there from Joel and from Isaiah. Let me read to you from Isaiah 25, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. Isaiah 25, 6, 7, 8, and 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. You go to the grocery store and you buy the... $1.49 $1.49 loaf of bread. Then you go over to someone's house and they make homemade bread and you have that. <laughs> What's the difference? This is going to be the good stuff here. <laughs> this is going to be the good stuff here. Verse 7. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. The veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, Isaiah wrote, verse 20, chapter 25, verse 8. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. I love it when it says the Lord has spoken. He's saying, my word is final. Anybody watch The Mandalorian? Has anybody seen that? What? The Mandalorian. It's a show on Disney+. Plus. Right. It's good. I've watched the first season. Uh, anyway, there's a character on there that he says, I have spoken. Now, he's not God, but it's a, it's a good show. Watch, watch it if you want. But, but it's just that thing for him, for that character in the show. It's just like the conversation's over. Now, people can say that, and aliens like he was can say that, and it means absolutely nothing. But when God says it, it's final. Absolutely final. Verse 9, it will be said on that day... Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So we're worshiping here now. And then when that day comes, what do we do? We rejoice. We worship. We give God all the glory. And we enjoy the rich and beautiful, wonderful, amazing feast that he puts before us to enjoy. I like the food that y'all bring when there ain't no coronavirus. But it's only a picture of the feast that is to come. If you're having a bad day, if you see the injustice in the world, and, and, and you need to know that things are going to get better, go and read verses 25. Ver, go read Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. It's good. It's good. So... Verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. I had breakfast this morning. I swallowed it. It's gone. The eggs and toast will never be eggs and toast again. Right? (laughs) That's what's going to happen to death. Death will never do what death does. Again, it will be over. And, And what we see in verse 55... Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's, it's almost like God is picking a fight with death. It, it's like, I, I picture, like, I mean, God is not unjust in doing this like they were in middle school, but I picture, like, the worst days of middle school and someone just picking on someone. What you got? You ain't going to do it. 
You can't do it. You're not going to do it. Here, God is saying to death through the prophet uh, Joel, which is where this comes from. God is saying to death, who else are you going to sting? Who else are you going to harm? Where is your victory? Where is your power? God is saying, I have defeated you. God is saying, I let you do your thing for a while, but that day is done. It is over. So death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? This word sting refers to a spiked stick used to drive cattle. Okay? They were very popular in ancient days. I don't think they're used as often. I don't really know much about them. But what I, what I do know is that this instrument was used to control things. And, 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 and I could picture cows being afraid of it. Let me ask, does death control you? Does the fear of dying control you? Does death have any power or hold any, let me say it like this. Does death hold any influence over you? Jesus died and rose again so that all those who have faith in him could be forgiven of their sin and transformed and belong to God. And death, all all the effects of death will be undone at this resurrection. Everything will be perfected. All the wrong things will be made right. All the sad things will become untrue, as J.R.R. Tolkien writes. All the sad things will become untrue. We do not have to let the fear of death poke us and control us and move us around. I say that realizing that people's fear of death often drives their biggest decisions in life. I'm not saying we should be foolish or stupid or do dumb things or never take precautions. But what I'm saying is that that day when the child of God dies here on this earth is a glorious day because you get to be in the presence of God. And that a day after that or or a day will come after that when you will receive your new body. We go to 56 and 57 and we're wrapping up. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Read 57 to yourself real quick. If you're a Christian, that's what's true now. Read verse 56 real quick. That's what was true for us before we became a Christian. And that is what is true for the world that doesn't know Christ. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. For us, death no longer stings. And sin no longer overpowers. The reason death stings so bad is because of sin. Everyone in this world knows that they're guilty. We live with that. That is on our, that is on the mind of people. They feel it. And that guilt 
causes us to fear death. We fear what lies on the other side. In the second part of verse 56, the power of sin is the law. If I say to you, do not think about pink, would you all just think about? Every one of you thought about pink. I see a couple pink things in this room. Okay? The very fact or the very reality of God's law reveals our sin to us. You shall not lie. Shall not commit adultery, shall not murder, which Jesus interpreted to mean don't even call someone a fool. That law stands before us, and if we're judged by it, then we are completely guilty. So the power of sin is the law. So so we're lawbreakers, right? I've sinned, you sinned. What do we do? Because we gotta stand before a holy God, what do we do? When we know we're a lawbreaker. Well, Jesus came and he perfectly obeyed God's law. He did it all exactly right. And he laid down himself as a perfect sacrifice. He became the criminal. And he went through the judgment. And he went through the condemnation. I was in the courtroom in the defendant's chair, and he broke into that courtroom. He opened the door and walked in. He pulled me out of that chair, and he sat there as the judge pronounced the sentence. Thanks be to God for the victory that we have through Jesus Christ. He defeated death. He overcame it. He rose on the third day. And everyone who believes in Christ will be saved. Everyone who believes and is saved will have this victory. This pain, this sadness, this brokenness that you feel even now as a Christ follower of some years and even many decades for some of us. All of that will be gone in the twinkling of an eye. We will be changed Let us give thanks and praise and honor and glory to our awesome, awesome God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for these truths. I pray and I ask that you may. That work in us where we long for your return and where we live our lives according to your word. I pray that thanksgiving would characterize us in powerful ways. God, I pray for anyone here today who doesn't understand the things that have been taught today and I ask that you may grant understanding. I ask God that you may teach these truths I ask, oh God, that there would be incredible awakenings in our souls. God, as we come to the table, we thank you for sending Jesus to die, to be broken, to be poured out for sinners. God, we praise you, we honor you, and we glorify your great name. Amen.